put a human face to them. And as we approach, uh, uh, I've been speaking over the last few weeks about the letters that Peter has written. This is after Jesus has uh, uh, ascended and Peter has to uh, embrace the ministry that God has laid out before him. And uh, as I came across this video, I couldn't help but think that's the problem. A lot of times we're asked, people ask me all the time, like, how do you develop things? How do you see the things that you see? I simply put a human face on it. I simply see it because they're humans that wrote this. They're much like me, much like you, flawed, flawed. And when we see a human face on it, when we see somebody who engulfs the character, the idea of Peter, all of a sudden these words maybe mean a little different. They look a little different, as if this guy could totally know what he's talking about. And so uh, this morning we're going to pick up in 1 Peter chapter 2, and I'm going to start in verse 13, kind of where we left off, and then we'll kind of push our way to the end of the chapter for today. And I'm not going to be long today. I do have a guest speaker that's going to come up here. I want, to talk, I want him to uh, 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 be able to have a few minutes here, and I don't want to take forever. And I think we can get right into the meat of what God has us for this morning, and I don't think we need to linger that much. I, I think God has a word for us this morning. Uh, we're First Peter chapter 2, verse 13. I'm going to read to verse 20. If you're there, say amen. 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 For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority. Whether the king is head of state or the officials he has appointed, for the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. It is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you, for you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the king. You who are slaves must submit to your masters with all respect. Do what they tell you, not only if they are kind and reasonable, but even if they're cruel. For God is pleased when conscious of his will, you patiently endure unjust treatment. Of course, you get no credit for being patient if you're beaten for doing wrong. But if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. Now, we really hear this all of the time. The church has never really been described as something of brick and mortar. There's no place where, today it's kind of our slang or our verbiage. We say the church and we automatically think of appointed time on Sunday morning and we think of an appointed place uh, uh, on a Sunday or on a Wednesday or, or just maybe a location in town when we say church. But there's really not a place in the Bible where they are specifically saying a brick and mortar place is the church. When they say words like the church of Jerusalem, they mean all of those who are saved in Jerusalem. When they say the church of Corinth, they mean those that are saved in Corinth. When they mean uh, the church of Ephesus, they are the Ephesians who have received Jesus Christ uh, as their Savior and so forth. The the uh, Church of Marble Falls consists of more than one building. Amen? I've said too many times the church is like a gold vein that runs through a giant rock. The rock is Jesus Christ, but the remnant runs through him. And too often there's too many people that I meet along the way that remind me the church isn't about being somewhere physical. I see here that all the time. Do you? Well, man, I'm, I, the church doesn't mean I have to go to a place. Oh, I, I, I understand that. And most often the time the reason they're not going is because it's often not the funnest place to go. It's often not the most forgiving place to go. It's a place that's full of hypocrites. It's a place that's full of all kinds of people, all shades and colors of people. How they conduct themselves says everything. You know, we've gone to churches, many of you have, where you walked in the door and you're automatically going, I'm never coming back to this church again. I mean, many of us have had that experience where we've met people along the way that have made us never want to go to church. Uh, Matter of fact, I've been to a lot. I've seen a lot of those churches, you know. I've seen a lot of places where people are hard-hearted and mean, and there's nothing I could, I mean, there's just, that's how it is. Uh, 
God needs a sledgehammer. He needs a man to come in with a sledgehammer and start breaking hearts. And, and, uh, uh, it, it, because what the damage is, is that you have people that will run around and say, I will never go to church. A church is not in a building, and I don't have to gather with a group of believers. That's true. It is true. But it's also funny to me that the people who say that forget the rest of the Bible. The people that say that they will never take part in it also forget the part in Hebrews where it says that we should not forsake the assembling of one another. Right, now that doesn't mean in a church, and we call it a church, it could be in a house, it could be in anything. Yeah, you can define that as whatever, but you should have a family. I mean, we're called the family of believers. There should be a family. I mean, can you imagine these same people going from a house-to-house church in Paul's day going, hey, this is really not the church. You really don't have to come back to this house. You could just walk around every day and just be the church. Can you imagine that in Paul's day? I think Paul would have a pretty good fun time with that whole comment. Well, you know, the church is just us as people, Uh uh-huh, but Paul gathered them together. Paul called them to church. He had house church to house church and house church to house church. If not, what was he planning? It's funny to me. We meet together because we share common beliefs. I mean, come on, man. If you're part of the NRA, you meet together. Why? Because you believe in what the NRA believes in. I mean, if you, if you uh, 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 have any kind of club you meet in whatsoever, I, I go to a deer lease with the same group of guys every single year. And you can call it whatever you want, but make no mistake, it's almost church for hunting. Because when we go there, guess what's in the house? Everything video related to hunting, everything that revolves around sports, because somehow sports and hunting just go together. But, I mean, it doesn't matter what we do. When we come together as a common group that believe in something, you can call it whatever you want. Just in the Christian world, we call it church. We call it church. And over the years, people have been beat up. People have been bruised. More often than not, the most correct picture of the church is found in the, in the Gospels where we see the men who have grabbed a person who was caught in adultery. They have dragged her out and want to stone her. And I know too many people that have been bruised by the hands of the church. How we conduct ourselves as the ambassadors of Christ say everything about our fellowship with one another. People don't come to our church because they simply just don't like us. It's not that they hate the location. It's just they don't like us. We've either said something mean or we've said something counter-contrary to our nature, which is what should our nature be? It should be Christ-like. We should conduct ourselves in the way that Christ conducted himself. How did Christ receive the sinner? He with the first, you know, if, you, if you're without sin, you can cast the first stone. Last I look, we're all sinners. Last I look, we were led by one. Sorry, fellas, I'm not perfect. How we conduct ourselves out in the public says everything about who we are. Are you living your faith in public every day? I mean, if people go, when they go to your work, if I ask your guys that work with you, what would they say about you? Like, that dude's crazy about Jesus. He don't shut up for nothing. I'm pretty sure they're going to fire him eventually because that guy will not shut up about Jesus. Or do they say, you know, I didn't even know that about him. He goes to church? Wow. Listen, I know some people like that. I've heard that before. Like, really? That guy goes to church? Well, God's still working on his mouth. Okay, thank you. Hey, by the way, I know some pastors that God's still working on by their mouth, all right? There's nothing wrong with that either. We just got to be careful to know what those things are. Now, what it looks like to the outside world is the funny thing because then we come off like hypocrites. We only come off like hypocrites if you start lying saying you got it all together. First of all, your life is supposed to be flawed. It's supposed to be broken, right? So that what? God can glorify in it, right? So that people can see, hey, he's messed up. And look, he's still pursuing Christ. He's still, uh, even though he falls down, I can see the forgiveness walk, right? Because I have peace that I'm not made perfect, but I will be. I mean, and with all the political firestorm out there today, 
Are you walking around in fear over, over our future? Or do you act like you know the one who holds the future in his hands? I mean, isn't it crazy? I know some of us are freaking out of who's going to be elected here and who's going to be elected there. And I know I expect you to do your due diligence. I expect you to make your vote count. But let's not forget who really controls things today. It is not Donald Trump. All right? It's not, it's not Hillary. It's not Bernie. It's not any of those guys. They don't control anything. Let's not forget the God that said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Who in Romans through the Apostle Paul said, all these things anyway are working for your good. I mean, come on. We've talked about how trials and tribulations are here to test you, to purify your faith, to build up character. Because your character, which means how you react to these circumstances, produces hope into the world. And the funny thing about hope is that it's powerful. It doesn't take much to bring it. Peter reminds us here that God has appointed the nations. Yes, even our president, Congress, Senate, governors, and so on. <laughs> I had a thought in my head right then. My mom has a tendency to say, listen, it is what it is, but it doesn't mean you have to like it. <laughs> we are to be a submissive people to those in authority. That doesn't mean we're always going to agree with leadership. Being submissive doesn't mean we agree all the time. Right? But how we conduct ourselves says everything about who we are and, more importantly, whom we serve. We represent something, something greater than ourselves, something bigger than ourselves. I think the funny thing about this is we come to church on Sunday, and we think it's really just that. It's just something from my heart just during the week to kind of get my stress out, to find this peace. But it's more than that. It's bigger than that. You know, in the military uh, spectrum, we have a mission. And one of the greatest things about being a part of the military is having this idea that we're a part of something bigger than ourselves, something global, something global, something big that's giant, right? But here's the thing. If God has called you, and today you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are called into something bigger than you, to a grand story. Have you not read the Bible? You see how many people are involved in the Bible and you become the remnant, the great part of the Bible that God is using to bring hope to the nations, to bring glory to himself, to reveal to the world that he is alive. Peter says if it's God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. That's God's will that your life would be lived in such a way that people could never say anything about you. Right? You know, I'm going to tell you what that means for me, or it, or it has been for me. Probably the hardest thing to do, I, I, it's weird to maybe suggest this, but I, as a pastor, I live in a glass house. I do. My life is open. How we do the finances at my house and how we do the finances, it's open. Now, some could say, well, pastor, you still deserve a private life. Well, wait a minute. Here's, here's what I've learned about privacy in my own life. Anytime I have the opportunity to hide something, it's a very also a door for the devil. So I'm, I'm more scared of hiding something than I, than I am of being embarrassed it's revealed. It's not that I'm not embarrassed when something that I've done wrong or failed at. Many of you have heard me from the pulpit here have to admit things that are, I wish I didn't have, I wish I wasn't that way. I wish I was made more perfect for you. I wish I uh, uh, didn't have so many flaws or, and I didn't, but I'm scared not to admit them because here's the thing about admitting them, what I've found, the freedom in that. And the freedom in not hiding is that I get to walk around every day and not worry, is somebody going to pull something out of my closet? Not worry if somebody's going to see something. Man, it's all out there. 
You might not like it, but it is for all to see. And I've, I've said to you many times, and, and you're going to find this out in your own life, and the same reason Peter's talking here is that you're going to find some people long to have a perfect leader. And so a leader that is flawed, they will automatically go, I don't, I don't really like that. It's a lot like the reason so many people struggle with George Bush Jr., right? I mean, he's not very smart. Uh, he knew that, by the way. He said it a lot, actually. Which, for a president, uh, it's not like a great thing to say at times, right? You're like, I don't want my president admitting that kind of stuff, right? I want him to say that, hey, I've, we got this together. I've got, I want to feel good, Mr. President. But that's not the truth, though, right? Which should show us something about our heart about how we long for something that's not the truth. The truth is we're flawed. The truth is when we start to accept that and start to see that as something God can glorify himself in, because who can fix these things? Who can help us with these things? God. Right? And then what do people see? Well, I knew he couldn't do it because he came out and admittedly saying he couldn't help himself. So who does help him then? When his life shows up to be great, when I can see something going on in his life, how he conducts himself, shows me he's at such a peace with his flawed, broken self. Why? Because Christ reigns supreme. It's God's will that you're, you live honorable lives. Our lives should shut the mouth of naysayers and open the eyes of the doubtful, the pessimistic, and the ignorant. It doesn't uh, it, if it doesn't, then what needs to change in our life? That needs to be a question we're asking ourselves. What needs to change if it doesn't? Do you need to be more? Do you need a time of confession before the Lord? Are you spending enough time in prayer? We are asked to use our freedom wisely before the world. Jesus has set you free. But the question is, free to do what? To run back and hide about everything that you haven't given him yet on the cross? To hide everything that you don't want to crucify? Is that what you've been freed from? The funny thing is, is we, when we come to Christ, all of us has had a breakdown moment where we had to acknowledge our sin before him. That's the way it is, guys. If you hadn't had that, you need to question whether you're saved. There, had, there has to be a time of repentance and brokenness about, about your wicked heart. And then here's the thing about that process. It's not, you know, you know as well as I do, the feeling, that overwhelming sensation that you've been saved. Right? And then like, wait, so you're automatically fixed? You know that's not true. <laughs> you know that's not true, right? The funny thing is, we should just treat all of those things along the way just like it was at day one. Well, Lord, I'm, I'm still struggling in this area. Okay, let's carry it to the cross and let's carry it to the altar. Let's repent and acknowledge our brokenness and our inability to change ourselves. Use your freedom. Use your freedom to reveal this truth to others. Right? Not to hide just because you know Jesus loves you and he'll forgive you. We're to be compassionate and respectful. You know, I had to teach uh, uh, this past week to my seventh graders the difference between sympathy and compassion. I don't know if many of you know, sympathy is I feel sorry for you. And I don't mean it in an ugly way like I'm like, bless your heart. I mean like I genuinely feel sorry and I, and I see what's happening and it's horrible and I feel so sorry. And that's it. Compassion is when I say I feel so sorry about what's happening to you. How can I help? It's the difference, man. And let me tell you the difference between Jesus. Jesus is not sympathetic. Jesus is compassionate. Because when Jesus, uh, when he's approached, it's not, oh, oh I'm so, I feel so sorry. Like, it's, I'm sorry you have leprosy. 
I'm sorry you were caught. (laughs) It's not like that, right? It's compassion. It's love that presses us into action. Right? Sympathy is not any, it's, it's, not, it's not like it's not love or a form of it, but love that's pressed into action is compassion. And Jesus moved with compassion upon everything. We're not to be sympathetic towards the world. We're supposed to be compassionate. Our, our passion and our love for Christ should push us to be compassionate like Christ. Right? And so when we're sympathetic to the world, when we tell the world, I do, I feel so sorry for you. I'm sorry we can't get food to you. I'm sorry we can't help you in this mission field. I'm sorry we can't help you. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. People go, you're not the church. Because Jesus is not sympathetic. Jesus is compassionate. Jesus does something about it. Listen, it's not like he went around and healed it. I mean, he healed as much as he could while he walked in the flesh. We do what we can. That's what we're called to do. Do what we can do. Not do everything, because it's not your job to do everything, right? We should learn the power of no. It would be good in our life. We need to say no to the things that are unfruitful in life. Yes to the things that are fruitful in life. The things that involve us being compassionate. Can I tell you something else about compassion, right? Medical studies have shown, and the irony is is listening to something like this this week uh, on a uh, radio station where they brought in this medical, this neurosurgeon who uh, does work on the brain. And as he was talking about one of the books that he's written, he was talking about the act of compassion. And he says, as we do things that are compassionate, that compel us to into our love into action, it creates atrophy, a shrinking of the area of the brain where the, where the uh, 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 fear happens. It says it literally will shrink that. The more love we give out, the more compassion, the more we're moved into action because of love, literally shrinks the part of the brain that, that controls fear. I mean, strange coincidence, right? Maybe that's why Jesus was so brave. I mean, maybe, maybe if we're even more compassionate, we'll be more daring. You look at somebody like John the Baptist who had a six-month ministry just to end up being beheaded fearless. Why? Because his compassion for the people led him to call out sin where sin needed to be called out. Right? How about Paul who's beaten and whipped and shipwrecked and snake bitten? Not the guy like I want to hang out with, right? I mean, I'm like, I don't even want to be around a guy that attracts snakes and shipwrecks and things like that. I'm like, man, I I mean, how many of us would be like, that's bad luck? (laughs) Right? Maybe he's so fearless because he's moved with compassion for what God has done for him. The world is watching us. How are we behaving? I can't control everyone. It's not my job. But I can keep my eyes on Christ, the big king. And that will help me stay focused while we elect a small king. Amen? That's what we can do during this time right now. We can live in the full knowledge that our conduct is always on display. People are always looking for the way. So show them. Show them the way that is right. Show them the way that is narrow. Show them to the door and teach them to knock. Show them. And not just in public or the political realm, but come on, I'm probably the next place that we live at, and I don't know about you, you, you guys know, uh, I've been working three jobs. I live somewhere else and sleep at my home. I live like completely somewhere else, seven days a week, and then sleep at my home at night. 
uh, in, the, in the place where I worked, that's going to be my biggest mission field. There are people there in different places that I'm always going to have to be up against, whether they feel a certain way about God and they feel a certain way about Christ. And it doesn't matter if it angers me. It doesn't matter those things because I have to be loving in that moment. I have to know that God is working these things out. I have to trust that God has put me around the people I am called to be put around. I'm reminded of a guy who worked, uh, uh, who's my mentor. He's passed away now. I've told you this story before, but it's really good and pertinent right now, where he worked at this biscuit factory, and he was the HR guy, and he worked with this guy he couldn't stand. And this guy would come in, he cussed like a sailor, and he was like, ah, oh, it just drove him mad. And he, you know, here he is, deacon of the church and everything. And he prayed one day, God, when are you going to get rid of this guy? And he goes, God said to him, when it doesn't bother you anymore, thanks a lot, God. He had to start praying for him. Had to start loving on him. Had to start treating him different. Quit arguing with him. Try to minister to him. Every chance you get, try to, try to work a way to talk about how the Lord does things in your own life. Right? Can I tell you, the funny thing is, he, he said, you know, I never felt like I made a connection with that guy the entire time. He said years later, he would go on to pass away. His sons would call me and ask me to speak at the funeral because their dad spoke so highly of me, he said. What? He goes, I was awful to him. But somewhere, the guy knew that I was a Christian. He knew that what was bugging me is this guy was purposely stepping on those things. Just always testing the waters to see really if he was that guy. And had the utmost respect because he always held his ground. Who's God placed you around? Do you show and give respect to those in authority over you? Are you obedient in doing what they ask? I, I know sometimes we can work for difficult, unappreciative, miserable people. I know too many people that hate to get up and go to work every day. I would uh, ask my brother-in-law all the time. I was like, man, how was work today? Hated it. I mean, like every single day. Hated it. Hated it. I was thinking after a while, like, dude, you ought to change your life, bro. I mean, get another job, man. Well, it pays so good. Uh-uh. You hate every day of your life. How good is that? How much money does it cost for you to hate every single day of your life, man? I was like, dude, for a guy who hates his life so much, I would think you'd be a lot wealthier. You, you like, let that go for nothing. You got nothing to show for it, man. But there are a lot of people like that. They hate it. They don't want to get up. They gripe. They moan. They complain about it all the time. And then you ask them to church right on Easter, and they're like, seriously? Can't be a God, I hate my whole life. I can't stand where I work. I barely want to come home. I mean, you know, I mean, like, they're just miserable. And it's no wonder people are struggling to come to Christ. It's no wonder people are struggling to see Jesus. And listen, if our conduct is not right, of course they don't want to come. Like, what good is it going to do for you? You talk about how much you hate it here, too. And this is the point Peter's trying to make. He says, do what they tell you, not only if they're kind and reasonable, but even if they are cruel. <laughs> For God is pleased when, conscious of his will, you patiently endure unjust treatment. One of the things they say in leadership is you never get to tell your story. You never get to complain. You never really get to tell your story to everybody else. Why? Because that's really between you and God. There are some things that are really just between me and God. If when I'm treated unjustly, if I got up here all the time and said, you know what, somebody treated me like this, and this is not right, and, it's not, and it could totally be, but that's, that's not for me to say. You know what's for me to do? 
I have to believe that God has brought that in my life so that he can work these things in my heart. Things that can help me accomplish. You know, I'm going to tell you something. Maybe one of the biggest things that, that people like that can help you accomplish is how to get over bitterness. Praise God for every bitter moment of my life because the more I'm exposed to it, the easier it becomes to overcome it. Because I have to every time, right? Or we just live in it. And everybody knows, uh, by the way, you have no friends if you're bitter all the time, man. Nobody wants to hang around you. All you do is talk bad about everything under the sun. Bitter is a poison, right? And the sad part, I've always said this about bitterness. Bitterness is like somebody stabbed you uh, uh, in the back and you just thought, I'm going to walk around with this knife in the back of me my whole life and just complain, right? And here's the problem. You could pull it out and heal, You can pull it out and heal, but you're choosing to stay that way. That poison is yours. Yeah, it wasn't right. They shouldn't have stabbed you in the back with a knife. But you can pull it out and heal. You can. Right? My actual note said this. Yes, it feels better to throat throat punch some people. I know. But that's not who we are. I told Joy I was going to get her a shirt that said throat punch donor. Because sometimes she just like wants to do that to my kids. She goes, I just, you keep talking right in the throat. Right? Children will teach you patience, won't they? Children, children are the, like, listen, man, I think that children are people God sent to you to help you get along at your work and teach Christ at work. Because if anybody understands being able to tell somebody and they don't ever do it and they talk back to you and they never like listen to the whole story, like, I really am bigger than you. I really can take you out of this world, Right? And they don't care. They're like totally oblivious to that. If anybody teaches you patience, if anybody teaches you love above and beyond, totally being ignored and disobeyed, it's children. Right? And if you don't got them, welcome. It's coming. All right? But, but I'm telling you, that should prepare us for work, right? For how other people are. We are the children of God. We represent love, forgiveness, and grace. Is that what they see when we go into the workplace? Does the world see that? We're the living proof of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is why you have to be honest about your life, because you are the proof that he lives. When, God, when people or the world see Jesus moving in your life, they will see the miracle of your life. Man, I don't know about you, but, I, but I, you know, I'm one of those that have a, one of those big redemption stories and drugs and alcohol and all kinds of crazy things in my life. And God has radically shifted my life. And, and, and the, the thing is, I haven't gone back to where I'm from, but, if, but every time, like on Facebook, I remember when I first got on it, people from everybody from all your, remember how like really Facebook is like more like you get in touch back with people that you hadn't talked to in 20 years more than anything. And, and, and I first, all these high, the people I went to high school with, I would get so many messages and they would say like, pastor, question mark. Wow, didn't see that coming. You know, like prison, yes. Caught dealing drugs, yes. Uh, all these other things, but pastor, no way. I'm the living proof that Jesus is alive. The proof that God offers second chances. I am the proof that God redeems evil, cruel people. And the proof, more than anything, that he is alive. And you should be able to say that about you. If you've received Jesus Christ, you should be able to. That is your banner. God is alive. How do you know? Look at me. And if they don't see anything, what have you been showing? Have you been sympathetic or have you been compassionate in their life? Listen, because if you've just been sympathetic in somebody's life, you haven't been Jesus. We're called to do good, even if it means suffering. 
And Christ is your example. Listen again to the words of Peter. He never sinned nor deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. What do we do? I love how Peter, like, it's like he closes in this. What do we do, man? How are we going to get this? How, how are we going to, because the next chapter, and we're going to get into it next week, is going to talk about how do we do this at home, all right? It's important to do it in the world, and he starts like there, like, okay, listen, realize this, that the heads and the nations, right, they're controlled by God. Realize this, that the people you work for and the places where you're at and you're working at, they are controlled by God, and now he's about to push you in. Now you're about to be in control of the people in your houses, right? And he's about to talk about wives, Husbands, you need to act this way, do these things. And we're going to get into that next week. But he's setting the precedence. Let's start with the nations, right? Your impact to the nations. Let's start next, your impact at where you're working. And then we're going to talk about your impact at your house. And what does he say do? Look to Jesus. When times are hard, we look to Jesus. When things don't go our way, we look to Jesus When it seems we're being singled out, we look to Jesus. When it looks like our way of life is disappearing, hello election, we look to Jesus. And when it seems like nobody cares, we look to Jesus. We can't change, shift, or shape our behavior either. We can't do that on our own. If we could, all of you would be strong willing yourself into being likable, nice, caring, good people. But if you know anything about God and anything about depravity, your depths of how wicked your heart is, you know that without Christ, you can't be any of those things. We can't strong will ourselves to being pleasing to the world. And if you can't, that isn't what the world needs because what the world needs is Jesus. The world is looking at the children of God in hopes of seeing the Father. That's their only glimpse, right? I mean, no one can see him unless they what? See the son. And the son does whatever the father does, right? I mean, John, I think it's John uh, 5, 19 says, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him everything he's doing. So when the world is looking at us, we are the only Jesus they see. And that being the case, that means we have to be prayed up and ready. That everything the father does, we must do. That everything the father sees, we have to be able to see those things. That Everything the Father says, we must speak what he says. We've got to be Jesus to the people. Our fix and our focus must be on Christ. To live in him, to move in him, to do as he does, to speak as he speaks. This is what we're called to do. You know, I played the video so we could see the humanness of Peter in that struggle. Reflecting back upon the things that have been said to him and the things about Christ. And here is Peter who spent three years in the best seminary you can get with the best teacher. And listen, if, if Peter can be called names like Satan and struggle with lying about uh, knowing Jesus and all these things, there's hope for us. How much more is there hope for us? He who saw him 
and made mistakes and had huge flaws and everything. And the glory, the cool thing about Peter's life, Peter's life is the proof that we can be flawed. We can even be called the devil sometimes by God, and he still loves us and uses us for great things. How crazy is that? (laughs) To me, that sounds like a parent. There's some times where I think I've brought some beautiful words out of my parents' mouth. I'm pretty sure there has been. Where I have not been the greatest of, ch- of, of a child. Matter of fact, I'm pretty sure they would disown me sometimes where I've just totally and absolutely embarrassed them because I was the most wicked son on earth. And yet they continued to love me, continued to believe in me. You know, the funny thing is it's like no matter how much I lied, I could always eventually come back to a place of trust. I'm pretty sure that's Christ. (laughs) We do it all the time. We do it all the time. I woke up this morning and I was praying over this and God began to hit me and God began to speak to me about, about preaching this and some other things. And I truly think, and, and, and just, just sharing with you from my heart now, I truly think as, as we approach this day and age, um, I, I'm going to tell you for me, God calling me on this idea to return, the theme of everything we do here, returning God's people to him, right? To go back to what Jeremiah called the old way. That doesn't mean we're going back to hymnals and 60s haircuts and I mean the old way praying interceding laying before the Lord right Joel chapter 2 stuff where the priests come out and they lay on the altar in the porch and they weep and weep and weep and wait for revival and God to pour himself out right I long for revival I long for those things and I feel God calling even now God calling me right God calling me by name, calling me to something deeper, something deeper enough where like even for me, it's like God's closing down the idea of technology, this idea. And I, and I tell you, it's, it's, it's not new. That's the funny thing about this, but it's so new for this generation. It's almost time for a reformation, by the way. And it's, and it's this very thing right here, and this is so simple, but it's so hard. I told Joy, I, I weep because it's so difficult for me. God is saying, quit trusting all the books, quit trusting the internet, quit trusting in these things. Lay these things down. Spend two or three hours with me. See my glory. I will fill you up. I will show you the greatness of the days of old. But come see me. Come find me. And I feel like God, I told you, I said, God is like, it's like right now, like God is like a siren. And he calls to me from the still place. This very still place that's very quiet. And God is asking me to go into this quiet place and be there and trust him that everything else is going to work out. But God, I need to be able to write sermons. I need to be able to do these things, God. And I'm telling him this, listen, as a pastor in my prayer time, I'm telling him these things, right? God, I still have this whole thing out in the public that I have to do. Listen, listen, Jim. I'm telling you, you will find all that you need there. Come to me. You will find all that you need there. Lay these things down. You think you need them. You just need me. Can I tell you that's what God's calling us to? We've already seen what happens when we read all the books, have all the latest technology. Come on, you've been to a church where you've seen everything under the sun, man. We don't even need the Shekinah glory anymore because we got fog machines. We can create the Shekinah glory. 
Now, whether God's in it and it's really glorifying, that's a whole different thing. But we can create the mood. We can create the atmosphere. And I'm not trying to come against these things because it's cool, some of the atmosphere, some of the light stuff is all neat. It is. And it's not less godly. These people are doing it with right hearts. They're doing it with a heart that longs after God. But can I tell you, wouldn't you like to just see God's glory and know it's God's glory? Wouldn't you like to see the supernatural and see something great and one of a kind that changes your life? When people try to tell me about, you know, and especially as being non-denominational, so a lot of people ask, were you non-denominational Pentecostal or non-denominational Baptist? And I go, yep. I'm non-denominational kingdom. That's what I am. I'm also non-denominational Church of Christ, too. And anything else that might offend you. But for me, like we say, well, we're a Pentecostal church. And, and mainly here's why. Because what happens when you meet God and you can't explain it? Can you imagine trying to tell uh, Peter and all the apostles who saw Jesus ascend? Can you imagine them going, God's totally supernatural. I just saw Jesus ascend in the earth. Not in this church you didn't, brother. You better go on down where that's, that stuff is like, okay, supernatural stuff is okay in that church. You know what I'm saying? What do I do about God? I've met God in a, in a very Pentecostal way. So how do I take that back? I can't. But it makes me long for everybody to know that, to see God's face like I've seen God's face. That doesn't mean I've seen him in the most way, guys. Because some of you probably have some greater, even greater experiences. What it means is this, and what I think even, even how can we give to the world who God really is if we've yet to explore him fully? You've already seen where all this can lead. This is the reason we do church differently. I tell people all the time, we're not new, we're just different. I'm just trying to go back to an old way of doing church. And I don't mean like old way, like last 20, 30 years. I'm talking, man, all the way Book of Acts, where it's more important to fellowship one to another and that we can be friends than it is to sit here and have something traditional where I get to uh, sing to you for 30 minutes and preach to you for 30 minutes. And we all clap, drink our coffee, and go home. There's nothing all that godly about that. You know what's godly is when I get to hug on you. You know what's godly is when we come in here on Wednesday and we all sit together and eat. We just love on each other for that 45 minutes. I honestly think there's more church in that than the next 20 minutes of devotional we do. Because you can always pick up and read your Bible. There's a whole lot better teachers out there you could listen on tape or CD than me. At some time, you're going to get tired of listening to me. But I hope you never get tired of my hug. Or the fact that I genuinely care about you. And hopefully, you, won't, you, you will desire that for each other. That's the church. That's the one people want to come to, guys. One that doesn't care about the formalities and the one that cares about this. That's what they want to come to, and that's what we need to be. Peter says, man, the world will know Christ if you will act like this, if you will act like Jesus really is the sinner. If you can show them that, the nations, remember that God controls these things. So guess what? You get to walk in peace. Everybody's like, oh, I don't know what we're going to do. The Trump, I don't care. God is the king. He's on the throne. You think Trump runs something? He don't run nothing. You know what? God used the king of Babylon to save the Jews. God used the king of Egypt to save the Jews. God many a times over has used other nations to either build up or destroy. And he can do it again. And guess what? God can bring people in and out of your life at your workplace where you can change them forever. One of the greatest testimonies in here, I think, is between the friendship between me and Michael. Raise your hand, Michael. There you go. I met him at the Y. We've hit it off, and I tell you, Michael has a heart and passion for God and a wonderful family that has a heart and passion for God. And I tell you, that's how it starts. One at a time. And we love on each other, and we lock arms together and we go, I'm going to do life with you. 
and we begin to talk to each other and raise each other. I mean, you know what I'm saying? That's how it's supposed to be. That's what all of us want, right? We're looking for a church where we can lock arms together, right? That we can never get so big or so busy that we lose the foundation of what we're called to do, right? How many churches have become just an assembly when they could be an assembly of believers? Amen? Hey, I'm going to pray for you, and I, I got, I just, I'm going to give you 10 or 15 minutes. I've got the guy, I want, I want to bring a guy up uh, to talk to you about the Joshua House and our opportunity there to serve them. And uh, it's something that rings close to my heart. We've been talking about it in here for a while. You guys know I've kind of brought it up a handful of times. And uh, I'm, going to bring, uh, I'm going to bring Scooter up here to talk about it here right after I pray. And I'm going to let him introduce himself and let you do your thing, man. Father, give us courage, God. Lord, I need it. Lord, I struggle in the quiet place, God, where, where you want me just to be still. I feel, God, as if I need to be doing something all the time, God. I need to be busy at this or busy at that, God. And you're just saying, come sit with me, God. But, Lord, I'm scared. What will I say? What will I do? If I'm not doing something, God, how will I be defined? Help me, oh God, to be secure in you. Help me to have peace when everything seems so chaotic. Lord, we're in this together. Lord, we don't know who is going to be what in the elections. We don't know, Lord, at times, uh, there's just so much to, to think about in those areas, God, but give us peace because you are in control, because your word is true, God, and they are the pawns of your hand. And Lord, help us carry that peace into the place where we work so that as these conversations take place, we're not bent, we're not upset, but we're boldly confident in you. It doesn't matter who's running what. Those are the things of men. But God, you reign supreme. Help us through your son to know that. Tear away the things that bring fear to us, God. Use the trials that are just going to happen in our life, God, to rip away at those things, Father, to, to shape us and mold us, to polish us, oh God, to what you desire us to be and to your masterpiece, God. Let us be like Peter, God. See our life in its flaws, in its mistakes and mess-ups, God, and still be confident in you. Let us this morning feel that dad's strength. Pull us in, oh God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, well, I'm going to bring up Scooter up here to let, let him talk about the uh, Joshua House. I'm excited about this. I'm excited about the opportunity to, to be a part of this and uh, to jump on board with him and, and uh, man, just put the full weight of everything we got here behind it. Amen. I'm going to grab this for you, brother. How you doing? Would you like a microphone? 
All right. I'll get you one. Cancer, and I beat it. I don't need it. All right. I, I, I think my voice will reach out there. But, uh...